be in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'll begin, begin reading with verse 12 through the end of the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to test you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Shall we pray? Loving Father, that you may open our hearts and minds to the reading of the scripture, that you may by your spirit minister it to us and teach us of the things of Christ, and may we realize of the great hope that we have unto eternal life, that when we see Christ and his glory, we too shall be glorified with him. We thank you, Father, for your love and your blessing upon your word, upon your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this afternoon, I've entitled the message, The Spirit of Glory. And we see that the Spirit of Glory and of God, he speaks about that here, as that Spirit of Glory rests upon his people. That is, it shall be revealed in them, and that they will be glad at the appearing of the Lord Jesus. And so that is good that we might glorify God in our lives as we allow that Christ be seen through us. Secondly, persecution and chastening of believers during the church age we find that it is spoken of here in the sense that judgment must begin at the house of God. And we find that during the church age then, this period of time is a time of persecution, especially for those who are called Christians. And we'll speak about that a little bit more. We know that... Um, the Old Testament congregation, if you will, did suffer persecutions, 
but it was somewhat different because we know that most of the persecutions that they suffered at the hand of the other nations were brought on by a certain chastening which God allowed in their lives that they might trust in him. Yet we find in the church age it is a little bit different in that we find that Christians are persecuted not necessarily because of disobedience at all but rather for obedience to Christ. Thirdly, the unsaved will appear in judgment without grace. And so this is the difference between those who are suffering for Christ and those who will be judged, as it were, but not for following Christ, or not being, not in a good way or in any sense uh, commendable, but rather they'll be judged for their sins. Much more harshly, of course, and the persecutions will be much greater, that is, in the sense that God's judgment or chastening will be upon them, and we know that ultimately this will lead to the great white throne judgment and their books being opened and their sins being revealed. Okay, so let's look at this a little more closely. Peter warned his readers um, about the coming of a more intense period of persecution. Well, we know the first century was very much wrought with these kinds of persecutions and uh, the painful trial or testing that they were to suffer was uh, is explained in a sense like a fiery trial or a fiery ordeal among them. As in verse 8, Beloved, think it not, excuse me, verse 12, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to test you. Now, certainly the uh, early New Testament church knew of the fiery trials of persecutions. They lived under such uh, rulers as um, Nero and Caligula and Domitian and some of these that were very cruel indeed and desired to persecute the believers. They, uh, they brought heavy and very severe persecutions upon the believers who, who followed Christ. They wouldn't have troubled them at all if they had bowed down to the emperor first and then kept their own belief system. But of course they would not violate that, their own belief system to bow down to the emperor. And for that reason they were hunted and tormented and persecuted because they would not uh, worship the idolatrous state uh, of Rome and its leaders. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Well, of course, we do think it is strange when persecution arises, simply because we would rather live at peace with the world, but we know that the world is not at peace with us. In fact, it is uh, very much an, an enemy to the Christian, and uh, we find that uh, this uh, relationship between the world and the Christian is a tentative one, that it is at best, it can be endured, but it will not be a blessing in the sense that God blesses us because the world does not mean to bless the Christian. The world means to bring them unto conformity 
The world wants to conform us into their, uh, their particular ideology or philosophy of life or worldview. They do not want to uh, pacify us in any sense, but would change us. And so we find that this um, participa participation in the world is a tentative one. Beloved, think in our strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to test you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers. The word uh, partakers here is the word which comes from the Greek um, koinonio, which is to fellowship. Uh, this is a little bit different um, word ending on that particular word. But we find that uh, we are to rejoice in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And so he said participate here, but it is a koinoneta, or something of that similar K-O-I-N-O-N-E-I-T-E, koinoneta. Koinonia is fellowship, and this one has to do with to share in relationship to something. And what do we share in relationship to? The sufferings of Christ. And so we find to share in the sufferings of Christ is a result of our relationship to Christ. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers that you share in the sufferings of Christ, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And of course, the sense of his, uh, his uh, being revealed is, of course, in his coming. And this word for revealed is similar to the word of uh, apocalypse, which is the unveiling in the book of Revelation. But this one is uh, apocalypse, which is a little bit different word ending, but it simply means that we will, we will also um, not only share in that revealing, but we will see his glory in the sense of the glory of God, and that glory will be also uh, beneficial to us for we will rejoice in the, the revealing of that glory of, this, of Christ when he is revealed. And so shall be revealed, that's the word, apocalypsis, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And so that is uh, the desire of the Christian is to be in such a relationship to Christ that we will bear those testings willingly that we may also share in the glory with Christ when he comes again. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so Peter again uh, here refers to Jesus uh, in the next verse, in verse 14. He says, uh, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And we notice that the word spirit here is the word which is capitalized, and it is the spirit of God, spirit of glory. 
and of God. Well, perhaps you might think of, of uh, Stephen being the first martyr of the church, and he had the spirit of glory resting upon him as uh, he saw heaven opened in the sense that, that he realized that he was going to be with God, and it was uh, the kind of glory that shone from him, a kind of glory uh, when Peter died. But don't you suppose that every martyr after that Every true Christian martyr after that also experienced the same. The same spirit of glory because they were glorifying God in the sufferings that they were going through. Now we can only read about that and appreciate it from a biblical standpoint um, unless you have been through it. Uh, and if you have been through it and survived, well you weren't a martyr, but if you have been through it and you have survived, then you were just simply persecuted. And uh, being persecuted, uh, you realized of the um, sufferings with Christ that you participated in. And so um, we find because of the name of Christ, the early Christians were, were persecuted and the spirit of glory rested upon them. And perhaps we might think of the early prophets, the spirit of glory resting upon some of these early prophets as they continued faithfully preaching. We might think of Elijah, and then of Elisha after him. And of course it seems that Elisha wanted that glory that Elijah had, and so he sought after that and looked for it, uh, even for the the mantle of Elijah to fall upon him so that he might take up the same ministry that uh, Elijah had. The spirit of the glory of God. Well, as we think about the glory of God, perhaps we think of the tabernacle and the spirit of the glory of God resting upon the, the tabernacle in the, in the wilderness. The pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day and the glory of God. And what of Moses? And he saw the glory of God in the burning bush. Uh, and when he was on Mount Sinai, of course, he experienced the glory of God insomuch that when he came down, the people were frightened of him because his face shone and uh, that he had to wear a veil over his face, so to speak, in order to... Um, uh, not frighten the people. Uh, but of course here the sense of the spirit of glory no doubt refers to the Holy Spirit and in the New Testament sense the Holy Spirit not only indwelling the believer, the Holy Spirit being in the life of the believer and in the works of the believer and so when one is uh, taken, uh, have taken upon themselves persecutions uh, because of the name of Christ we find that that glory of God is upon that person. And so, um, because of the name of the Christ, of Christ, they have taken on this, this suffering. <clears throat> Excuse me. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, verse 14, happy, happy, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, on their part he is evil spoken of. 
but on your part he is glorified. And so those who are persecuting you, they speak evil of the Lord. They speak evil of the Lord. Well, we might think of the early the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians at the time of Christ. And what did they do? They spoke evil of God. They spoke evil of Jesus Christ, I should say, the, whom they didn't know as the true Messiah of God. You know, they, of course, they wanted to glorify God in their sense, but it was in unbelief and it was not in true obedience to, to God. Um, so they really weren't glorifying God. But um, we find that they were speaking out against Christ, and because they were speaking out against Christ, they are like those who speak out against those who are believers whom they would persecute. And uh, we find that, of course, the Apostle Paul started out persecuting the believers, the followers of the way. He started out to hunting them down and was sent with a letter that he might uh, um, secure these, uh, these people when he himself uh, was struck down on the road to Damascus and what kind of um, experience did he have but the glory of God shone um, the, that spirit of glory of God shone and Paul was struck down he was blinded and um, nobody else saw what he saw um, and uh, he himself was the witness of those things and so the Holy Spirit of God and the glory of God finally came to rest upon Paul and Paul became an apostle to the Gentiles. And what did he go through but many sufferings as well. And so he says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of but on your part he is glorified. And so the believers in the first century were glorifying God while others were, uh, of course, uh, bringing certain um, accusation and persecution and uh, derisive remarks against those who were called Christians. And in verse 15... But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. I find that the Christian is to take on a much more different role than that of the world. The world is a persecutor of those that they uh, do not like. Um, and of course we've seen this throughout history. Many different sects of people are persecuted because others don't like them, uh, irregardless of you know how good or, or anything about them. They they don't if they don't like them they persecute them. Um, but we find that Christians are not to have ill will against any. We aren't to murder people, we aren't to rob from people, we aren't to do evil unto people, we aren't to um, meddle in the affairs of other people. Um, you know, some might call that kind of a pacifistic view, but um, I guess I would like to say we, the church is not supposed to be a violent, militant group of people in the sense that we marshal our our, our 
how it was against people. Um, I know politics takes on a whole different realm when you talk about politics, but we find that when it comes to religion, uh, our faith in Christ dictates our politic. Basically, is what is what it is. Even Jesus didn't interfere with the political life in Rome. He simply came preaching, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And even when he stood before Pontius Pilate, he didn't make any claim upon the kingdom of Rome. Uh, but he simply stated uh, that who, or what his intent was, that his kingdom was not of this world. Well, our kingdom is not of this world either. You know, some have the opinion that we're going to usher in a kingdom on this world, uh, kind of an amillennial kingdom. But I do not see that in Scripture. Uh, our, our preaching Christ is not to win a kingdom other than to be faithful to the Christ of God who will establish his own kingdom in his own time according to his own will and in, through, and in the righteousness which God himself would have him to rule and to reign. He said, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, this is the third use of the word Christian in the New Testament. Uh, one in, I guess there's one in Acts and there may be another one um, in one of the Gospels. I'm not sure, I forgot. But th this is like the third usage of the term for Christian. And um, so, well, I guess it's Acts 11.26 to come to think of it. And then the other one is, is in, um, again, I think it's in Acts 26.28. So this is the third usage, uh, not used a lot, but probably moreover as a derisive term of those who became followers of Christ. Um, and he says, let, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And so as we uh, do live under that banner of being Christians, uh, we are not to invite persecution upon us because of, of uh, ill will to anyone. We, if persecution comes upon us, it is because we name the name of Christ and that we are followers of Christ and we glorify the Lord Jesus, the Christ of God. Verse 17, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, this particular phrase is taken a number of different ways. Uh, some see it as a particular time when great suffering or persecution or judgment from God might come. Maybe, maybe some might view it as simply the Great Tribulation period. Well, we know the Great Tribulation period is, follows the Church Age. It, it isn't prior to the Church Age. Some perhaps believe that we're going through the Tribulation now uh, simply because there is a lot of persecution around the world. But it doesn't seem to fit that scenario here. Uh, it seems to come within the framework of what he is saying 
Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to come upon you. And what kind of trial was they having and why? They were having these trials because they were Christians. They were having this uh, condemnation leveled against them because they were followers of Christ. Now we know the Jewish people wanted to, to um, uh, condemn the Christians. And that's why Paul was seeking them out and wanted to, to rid them of Saul at the time. But then later, he, he, after he was converted, he, he of course became a follower of Christ himself. And so I think it is better to look at this particular passage within the context that it is in and say that during the church age, the Christians would suffer certain condemnation. But the condemnation would be from the world. It is true that sometimes Christians suffer certain chastening from God, but that is not, even that is not entirely what the context of this passage is. The passage is talking about sufferings of persecution, which you will have for naming the name of Christ. So I think it is better to look at this in the context of saying that Christians are condemned during the church age, that they are put through certain trials and testings and sufferings, because of their naming the name of Christ. Whatever we might experience for other reasons, maybe some trial or some chastening that God might allow, but um, God doesn't uh, judge the Christians during the church age. He, and in fact, we seem to find that he allows for this, this persecution to continue, and it has continued. From the early church age all the way to the present time, Christians have been and will continue to be um, persecuted and condemned and judged by the world, and uh, they, uh, they will fall under, under this sort of thing. But notice that during the church age, even though Christians are maybe condemned or judged in some particular way, what is the overriding... Uh, uh, virtue of God for the Christian. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the long-suffering of God. In other words, God, even during these, these particular uh, sufferings that Christians go through, His grace and mercy has not been removed. In fact, it is, it is upon them. And that is the very thing which, is, which has upheld the Christians during those periods of time, is that God's grace is with them. God's mercy is, is evident. God has allowed them perhaps to go through things, but he has not abandoned them. Um, but what do we see concerning the unsaved? Look at the same passage again here, and what happens to the unsaved? For the time has come that uh, condemnation or judgment must begin at the house of God. It does, there is that kind of thing going on. And if it first begin at us... What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? You see, if Christians who are obeying the gospel of God suffer certain persecutions, certain condemnations, and the persecutions come from the world, the condemnations come from the world, what then concerning those who are unsaved? This is going to be much more severe because there is no grace. There is no grace for the unsaved. So the Christian does have grace during the church age, even though they suffer. The church, the Christian does have, have the, the blessing and benefit 
of following Christ and knowing the glory, the spirit of the glory of God on their life, but the unsaved do not. I read one writer during this week, and he said that though the world seems to grow fat upon its prosperity, even though it sins greatly, God seems to be fattening them for the slaughter, for the judgment. I mean, why should we be envious of a, of a world of, that's unsaved, that enjoys every prosperity that they can possibly enjoy? I mean, yes, there, there are many people who, who suffer because of their own particular circumstances and particular sins. But they, they're, they're not under the grace of God. And so they, you know, if they do great sins, they, they often are punished greatly in this world. But when they get to go to um, the judgment seat before the great white throne, there will be no grace for them there. There is no grace for them. They suffer the punishment of God full. The cup will be full of the wrath of God for them because they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. So the contrast between the two here is that though, though the Christians may suffer the condemnation of the world, though the Christians may suffer the persecution of the world, they live under the realm of the grace and mercy of God, and God is going to reward them. They will be, they will be blessed eventually, and God is going to give them the spirit of glory and of God. That is, he will, he will truly reward them. But the unsaved, not so. Not so. So if we're going to suffer for anything, let us suffer for the name of Christ. Eventually, that's what really the input is here. Verse 18, And if the righteousness, righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Now, of course, this particular verse may be um, looked at perhaps a little differently in that uh, we see that there is some question mark, you might say. Scarcely be saved? Well, can one scarcely be saved? Um, I suppose in the sense that we realize that the scarcely part of it is that sometimes Christians go through great trials that their faith might persevere. Um, it doesn't draw into question whether or not God is going to keep his word when he says, when he says um, that we are brought under the blood of Christ and our sins are not imputed to us. There is no question that, that Christ's sufferings were sufficient for us, for the believer. But there, there are always those who grow through great trials and sufferings, perhaps even chastenings, um, because of their walk with Christ or how they are walking with Christ. So, and it seems like the word if gives it some sense of a conditional cause. If the, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Well, again, there's a contrast being made here. It doesn't say the unsaved, the saved are going to be lost. It just says there may be in some sense, some will go through great trials and sufferings along the way. But where, where then shall the sinner appear? Well, we know that the scripture says he'll appear before the judgment of God. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls 
to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So it says, because of these things, because of these, these are things said, let them suffer according to the will of God. If one must suffer, then we must suffer desire that, that we suffer according to the will of God. Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Well, this seems to be a little bit different phraseology. Uh, he doesn't call upon the name of Jesus here. He says, unto a faithful creator. Uh, perhaps uh, not, a, not a very, uh, kind of a singular use maybe of, of that phrase here in the New Testament. Um, but we find that uh, doesn't say of Jesus Christ. Now, why does he use this particular terminology? Well, we do know that Jesus himself, the scripture says, um, was and is involved in the creation process. God is a God himself, his own son being a faithful creator himself in the creation process, the book of Genesis, or if we go to Colossians and some of the other passages that deal with this, we find that uh, uh, Jesus Christ is a faithful creator, a faithful creator. And so in 1 Peter 2.15, it reads, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, and not using your liberty as a close of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brother, and fear God. Honor the king. So in, there, in a sense, this, this, we have been called rather to honor the things that should be honored in this world. And we are to recognize our true creator who is the creator of all things. And we are to realize that Christ himself is, it was involved in creation. He is a faithful creator. He is a faithful God. He is a faithful savior. Um, this terminology here goes back to whom we truly uh, recognize as being God and that Jesus Christ is a part of that great framework of creatorship and sonship and bringing glory to God. And so the righteous then are to glorify God. Even in the midst of sufferings, the righteous are to suffer according to the will of God and not to commit themselves unto this suffering realizing that God is faithful and he who has called us will surely keep us unto the day of Jesus Christ unto the day of his coming again the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon those who name the name of Jesus and are willing to bear the sufferings of Christ in this present age. Shall we pray?